Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the podcast which gives you the voice and the vision to be heard, allowing you to share your story in a judge-free zone, opening the conversation to millions of barriers with the sky's the limit. Hello, and welcome to Malavision, the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. And welcome, everybody. So, I just really wanted to say welcome. Welcome to you, Kirsty. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So, first off, Kirsty, tell me a little bit about you. A little bit about me. I am 27. Uh, I'm Malachi's sister, for anyone that doesn't know. I am the third oldest of the seven siblings we have. I am married. I live in Devon with my husband and we've just had a little girl who is now three months old. Um, so I'm on maternity leave. But before that, I was working at a, um alternative provision. Um, so it's like an education centre for uh, secondary school students that have been kicked out of, or they were at risk of being expelled from mainstream. Ex- sorry, permanently excluded from mainstream. So we sort of did a lot of uh, relationship building with them and sort of just kind of giving them the tools that they need with the aim of getting them back into mainstream. So, And how is it when somebody comes from that difficult background? I guess it must be quite hard to sort of sort the issues and fill in those gaps that haven't been filled in because of the bad experience at mainstream. Yeah, massively. I mean, so... Uh, most of the students we have, obviously I can't go into detail, but they've all got um, quite significant trauma um, from their childhood. The reasons that they struggle in mainstream vary. So some of them, it is just they cannot cope in in a setting as big as a mainstream school. um, And so they need a much smaller environment. Some of them, it is behavioural. And so they have, there's been behavioural difficulties that mean that they can't, it's not safe for them to be in a mainstream school um, for the other students. Some of them, it is just that actually they kind of had a more recent trauma and so they just need that time to process that in a smaller environment. But actually, they they can get back into mainstream. So their, their relationship with mainstream school is completely varied. Some of them loved it and can't wait to get back. Some of them hated it and, and don't want to go back. Um, and so it's, it, the idea is to find the best place them. It might be that they don't end up going back to mainstream. It might be that they go to a different alternative provision that is more appropriate for them. But yeah, the goal is to kind of help them to kind of have a bit more of a positive relationship with handling their emotions um, and then find the best place for them. So that, that's the aim of the centre that I worked at. Has a student ever came to you who was really, really, like, struggling and they didn't see a way out, but then you saw and helped them so much that now they're really, really thriving in a way that you never imagined? Um, I think there are definitely quite a few students at the centre that, I mean, it wasn't me, it wasn't from... Uh, my input alone it was kind of a team effort and um, I was only there for a few months really and so the the head teacher of the centre has done an incredible job with all of the students that were there when we started and 
I've heard stories of what they were like when I before I started there and kind of coming kind of full circle now there's a few that have been there over a year and they're now going back into or they're now kind of moving on from from us but yeah the the difference in, in how they were when they started at the center and how they are now is just incredible yeah um and it is I can't say that that's my doing because as I say I was only there for three months but the the input of the team in general um yeah has has really impacted them um and dare I say changed their life because the the track that they were on it just wouldn't have ended well for them um but they are it's certainly looking better and more positive now so before you worked at Amargo um I did. in Kent yeah so how was that going from that to this because obviously it's roughly the same but obviously if people look into Amargo and obviously when you mention about you know what it is it, it does come apparent that they do work slightly differently oh yeah it's, it's totally different so um Amargo Again, for people that don't know, I worked at Amargo, which is a charity that is, um, it covers Kent. Uh, they also have projects in East Sussex, some of the boroughs of London. This was when I left, which was like four years ago I left working for them. So when I left, we were covering Kent, East Sussex, some boroughs of London and Medway, I believe. Yeah, so Amargo, the project that I was working on was predominantly focused around um, respite and day trips and things like that. For um, I worked across two projects. So one of the projects that I worked on was with young carers. So that is people that are looking after someone at home and um, who might have a long-term condition or a mental health issue or anything like that. Is that that means that they are doing more than the average child or teenager would in and around the home um, and it also has a has an impact on their emotion you know their emotional well-being their mental well-being and all of that as well so, so that, that's quite a kind of um a, a big scope um, so i was working with young carers and i also worked on our short break project which was for um eight to 19 year olds with mild to moderate disabilities Going from that and kind of planning and running day trips and residentials and after school clubs, and it was very much um, activities based and it was very much chilling and relaxing. And there was an element of education to it. So some of what we had to provide for the young carer side of it, it had to be kind of semi-educational. So we would do workshops around things like healthy eating and first aid. And so I would have to look into that. And, and so there was an element of kind of teaching, but also not. It was very relaxed. It was very kind of, this is helpful to know rather than I'm being told I have to teach you this. Whereas then when I moved to Devon, how I got into the education setting was I found a, um, having never worked in education before, I found a agency that provided placement so you you sign up to this agency as a temporary teaching assistant or learning support assistant specifically for children with special educational needs so having worked 
with SEN young people through a Margo in the short break program, I had the experience that meant I was kind of able to transfer those skills. So I had the experience to go from doing the respite activities to actually going into education settings and supporting them in that way. Um, so I wasn't teaching. I was just supporting in classrooms. Um, I worked in mainstream schools. I worked in special schools. But, yeah, I found this job in this alternative position. And, um, yeah, it just it felt right. It was with a, um, a Christian charity, uh, company. So that kind of appealed to me as well. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of my journey of, yeah, my, my work-life journey, if you want to put it that way, um, professional journey, that would be a better word for it. My professional journey has definitely kind of evolved and I never thought I'd be working in education, to be honest. It just kind of happened. But, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed it. So, Have you now realised the gap of educational provision and the support um, in, you know, the education sector and the mental health sector within education? Oh, Malachi, I could spend hours talking about our education system and the way that it handles any kind of special educational need and mental health and, oh, it's so flawed. Yeah, there is, there is huge huge gaps um working for imago working in the kind of settings that i've worked in kind of within schools there are massive gaps in education when it comes to um SEN and mental health it's it's appalling it really is and it's heartbreaking it almost angers me to be fair when i hear stories about you know students that have Oh, I can't even. There's just so many stories that I've heard about students that have been let down time and time again by education settings, and it breaks my heart. Do you, in a way, agree with the reasons why, for example, you know, well, they do have a lack of funding, so, you know, it's fair they're doing it, or do you think that they do really have enough funding, they're just not spending it on the correct things there's an element of it where you've got so if a child has an EHCP um which for those that don't know is an education healthcare plan um so it is if a child has any kind of special educational need they will sit down they'll do this EHCP if a child has that the school get more funding for that child and so schools are funded for every child they have, they get funding. Um, there is additional funding for children with EHCPs, and it's a significant amount of money, particularly if on the EHCP it states that that child needs a one-to-one. They will essentially get enough money to pay for a one-to-one. And I've seen so many schools that are not allocating that money to a one-to-one for that child, or they'll employ a one-to-one for that child that if that child then goes down to a half timetable or for what any reason, so what you'll often find is you have, they will employ a one-to-one for the child, but actually that one-to-one then becomes just a classroom TA because what schools aren't doing and they don't have the funding for is to employ TAs for the classroom. So you'll have one teacher with 30 students 
and then you might have a one-to-one but that one-to-one then becomes a general TA for the entire class and they're not focusing on that that child that needs them as much as they should be because they're trying to deal with the rest of the class because otherwise that other teacher is dealing with the 29 other students that haven't got any extra support. So it, it's such a minefield for teachers and I feel for teachers, I really do, because also they're underpaid. So it is, it's a battle and I think... I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how it gets solved. And this is getting a little bit political maybe. But yeah, I don't know what the answer is. But what you've got is teachers that are underpaid, schools that are understaffed. And because they're understaffed, the, the funding that is meant to be paying for extra support for the students that need it is actually paying for extra support for the entire school, which means that those students aren't getting that the the amount of support that they should be and it's difficult and like I said I, d- I don't know what the answer is but I'm just saying it as I see it and it yeah it's a it's a very difficult situation and I think schools have a a hard time balancing balancing it because they, they need to put that support in place but how do you do that when you've got you know maybe five kids that need a one-to-one in a school of 200 like it's it's so hard it's so hard well tell me if you're in your opinion if you could if you could be the one that put your foot down when this is what's happening nobody has any say this is the final decision and the only decision what 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 would be your in an ideal world what would be your decision classroom sizes are too big um definitely i think 30 kids to one teacher is too much Um, because what you then have is teachers trying to target or kind of aim their lessons at kind of the middle group and because that's the majority but you're going to have some kids that are ahead of the group like the the majority you're going to have some kids that are excelling and doing really well and they're not being pushed as much as they need to be because the teachers got a focus on the majority but you also get kids that fall behind. And again, they're not getting the support they need, particularly if they don't have any HCP and so there isn't any extra funding for them. You've got, they need that extra support to kind of help lift them up to join the rest of the group and they're not getting that. Classroom sizes are far too big throughout school. That's from reception right up to year 11. Teachers aren't paid enough. I've worked in quite a few settings where the teachers are teaching during the day kind of you know they're getting to school at half seven eight o'clock in the morning finishing between four and four thirty and then going to their second job because teaching isn't paying their bills yeah teachers aren't paid enough classroom sizes are too big I think I'd start there and I don't know what the answer is but I think they're the two biggest biggest things a question I always ask people steering away from the teaching thing quite vigorously but now having all this experience with work education and your upbringing what would you tell your 15 year old self (laughs) my 15 year old self I knew that I wanted to work with young people but I didn't know what that looked like and I think I would tell my 15 year old self don't stress just go with the flow um I was convinced 
that I wanted to work in a nursery. Mm-hmm. I think that was my initial thing. And actually, since joining the world of work, I had never worked in a nursery. So, like, that completely, yeah, I think at 15, I would tell myself, like, don't hold too tightly onto the plans that you think you have because life throws you curveballs. And actually, I can't imagine not going the way that I have. Like, I look back and I think, actually, I learned so much working for Argo. I learned so much, like, moving away from home and joining the education workforce. I have learned so much, and it's changed the way that I view so many things. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I could have just gone and worked in a nursery, and that would have been easy, and I'd probably still be there. But actually, the, the life I've had has been probably better than maybe it would have been if I'd done that. I don't know. But yeah, I think just don't hold too tightly onto what you think your plan is because life throws curveballs and often we end up in, you know, it's better than what we thought it would be. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think yeah. I think it's, it's this thing where you kind of need to balance it in one part of, you know, you want, you do want a plan, but in another part, it's sometimes better to just go with the flow. Yeah, like I say, I knew that I wanted to work with young people. I knew that I wanted to work with kids in some way, shape or form. Um, I thought that was in a nursery, but I wasn't kind of completely sold on it. So I went to college and I did childcare and, and I loved it. But yeah, I just, yeah, they're not holding too tightly onto those plans and kind of going, this is, this is where I kind of want to end up, but I'm open to all the options. Like, this is the path I want to take, but there's going to be different kind of sections of that path that might change. And I think that's kind of follow, you know, go with your gut, follow your heart, whatever the things are. Yeah, for 10 years I've been not in education now, which is terrifying. Yeah, the whole time, really, up until I have my baby. I've been working with young people in some way, shape, or form, and none of it is how I thought I'd be working with them when I was 15. Because of the curveballs that have been thrown at you, do, do you ever look, sit back and have any regrets? No, I don't regret any decision that I've made. It might sound a bit cheesy, but I've always kind of been on the mindset of, like, I don't have regrets because I've learned from every experience. So even the experiences that weren't great or didn't go the way I'd hoped they had, I don't regret the decision I made that led to that experience because I learned from it. And so I I might choose not to make that decision again, but actually I am who I am because of those experiences. And so had I not made that choice, I wouldn't be where I am. Does that make sense? Definitely, absolutely, definitely. And I think that that's the most important thing. You know, I think, you know, like you said, you know, I think, I think regret is quite a strong word, isn't it? Yeah. Regret almost, it's quite a powerful word. It's a bit like similar to the word hate. It's, it's quite a big statement, regret. Yeah, I think also it, it so when you say you regret something, it's like, oh, I regret that decision. It's like, I really wish I hadn't have done that. 
And I'm like, I, I don't want to wish that I hadn't done it because I learned from it. You know, it might not have ended well. It might not have ended how I expected or how I'd hoped, but I learned from it in one way, mm-hmm. shape or form. And so to say that you wish it hadn't happened is like, I wish I hadn't learned that lesson. I wish I hadn't learned that. I wish I hadn't had that challenge the way that I feel about certain things. And actually that's what shapes us. So I, yeah, I don't, to say I don't like the word regret maybe is a bit strong, but I, yeah, I don't, I feel like regret isn't helpful. One of the last questions I really want to ask you is, have you done everything you want to do in your life? Or really sitting back to you think, actually, I'd quite like to do this as a job before I retire, say, in about 50, 60 years? That's an interesting question. It's a great question. To say I've done everything I ever want to in life is is a bold statement. I'm 27, so (laughs) I hope I still have a long time ahead of me. Honestly, there's a few things that I would love to do that I've kind of toyed with, dabbled in, if you will, they've not really gone anywhere. And actually seeing you create this podcast and watching you kind of build this on your own and kind of, you know, reach out to people and and do this and this is something that you really wanted to do, watching you do that has actually taught me, like, kind of go for it. So, yeah, there's, there's there's a couple of things that I've kind of considered and just sort of been like, oh, I don't know how I do that or what I'd even do with it or, you know. We'll see. What's this space? Maybe one day. I think life is what you make it, you know? Absolutely. 100%. You only live once and I think it's really important to follow your dreams because who knows, we we might not be here in a year or even tomorrow, so. Exactly. But I am very content with the life I have. So I'm not. Maybe now I'm a mum, I'll start doing things like that a bit more. How has it been, though, being a mum, just quickly? Oh, I love being a mum. I love it. It's it's so hard. It is so much harder than I ever thought it would be, like, genuinely. And I have a very easy baby. I love her to pieces. You know, she sleeps through the night. She doesn't really cry. So I, I feel like I don't have anything to complain about. But being a mum is hard work. Like it is an emotional roller coaster. Every day is different and throws new curveballs. And but yeah, I love it. I wouldn't change it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. No problem. And everybody, as you know, we have spoken about some topics today that some people may find upsetting including mental health depression and the support services so if we're affected by anything you can visit if you are looking for support for under 25s and you are suffering with depression you can visit www.youngminds.org.uk If you are struggling with mental health and you are under 25 and you would like a place to talk about your differences, get advice and support, you can visit The Mix.
www.ex.org.uk. And if you want to find support services in your local area and around the uh, country where you are from in the UK, you can visit www.centreformentalhealth.org.uk. Thank you so much, everybody for listening. And again, thank you, Kirsty, for joining. <laughs>